Episode 26 with Adam and Lewis Walker on the Nine Point Start With A Dream Podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started With A Dream Podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey, welcome back to the podcast. This episode with Adam Lewis Walker. He is a former athlete, he's a TEDx speaker, podcast host, really doing some great things, and a new author of his new book, Waking Your Alpha. So we go through his journey, what he's up to, and some great information to kind of help you guide your journey. Hope you enjoy and let's get to it. So, so I have a question to start with everyone comes on is, when you were younger as an athlete, what was one of your bigger terms of goals you wanted to achieve? Yeah, that's an easy one. That's um, real simple in terms of big goals. Olympics. I was obsessed by the Olympics because um, for the Americans in the room, it's, uh, we call it athletics, but it was track and field. That was my kind of my thing as an, as an athlete, uh, track and field, pole vault specifically. Um, but again, as a young age, I didn't really, you know, if you're talking about big goals and not knowing the details, I just, I loved the Olympics, any shape or form, just the Olympic ideals, just watching that whole big, you know, everyone coming together from the, all over the world and just that, that, that excellence, that high level, and people have dedicated themselves like Olympics, just like starry-eyed. Like I thought, you know, if you get to the Olympics in any way, shape, or form, and I, I genuinely, I, I, if anyone's got to the Olympics, I would, I say, I don't care what event they're in. I, I, I do. I'm interested, but I mean, to me, they're an Olympian is just something that that's like the gold standard. I just, if I could have got to the Olympics in any shape or form, that would have been like the dream scenario. And it didn't happen. So that this is the reality. And, it, and, and the reality is it doesn't happen to a lot of talented people. And um, we talked about injuries just briefly before the interview. You know, all it takes is one injury. Um, you've got to have the, you know, talent alone is not enough. You've got to have the mentality and the, you know, the support network around that. And also, you know, the timing. We talk, you know, you could be the world number one for three years. The Olympics comes around and you have an injury that season. You know, it, it there are stories, you know, of obviously people are very high level consistently who either, for whatever reason, haven't got to the Olympics, made the Olympics. Um, you know, it's, it's sometimes timing is out. And then there's the uh, those stories of other people who have kind of been injured or down and out for three years. Then they manage to come back, have a bit of a run, get to the Olympics, you know, smash it. And then that cycle could happen again. It, it doesn't go the best for three or four years. And they manage to, you know, come to another Olympics. Um, so it's... Yeah, Olympics, man. That was that was the kind of the obsession, uh, and um, and it's almost like very entrepreneurial in terms of okay, that's that's where you want to go. That's your Mount Olympus. How do we do that? Like, what's the vehicle? Awesome, awesome. I love that Olympic dream. Olympic dream, you know. <laughs> I think you got to you got to aim high. So for you, where do you live growing up? Uh, so I grew up in um, Crawley, which is in the south of England, sort of halfway between very basic uh, geography, halfway between. London and Brighton, the coast. Um, yeah, so I, I grew up, um, I was mad into basketball up, up till, well, I'm, all, I'm still mad into basketball. I mean, I was mad into basketball like till I was about 14. And this, this frustrates me. This is, you say don't have regrets. I regret I listened so much to other people at that age, but you know, I was a young kid. I was, I was reasonably short. I was a late developer in terms of the height thing. So uh, I think if you think of Muggsy Bogues, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't that small, but, you know, I was excelling at basketball at a young age and doing really well. And like, I think what needs to come with that kind of level, like fully uh, into it, obsessed, like loved it, just loved to play the sport. Um, and we talk about identity. I let other people kind of mold my identity because whenever I, you know, I, I played a good level for a, a, when I was young. And every time anyone found out about or asked what I do and stuff as a, as a kid, I'd say basketball instantly. And I mean, like people who genuinely wished me well and want the best for me would instantly say, you're a bit small for basketball. And I was like, you know, I was kid, oh, I didn't realize, you know, oh, bearing in mind, I'm like doing really well. And for everyone around me, yeah, I get this taller people and stuff, but I'm doing really well and smashing it. And, you know, um, and unfortunately, that's, that slowly trickled into my subconscious to the point that that took away kind of any long-term aspiration because I was like, wow, I'm awesome now. But, and looking back at it, now, I, I believed it couldn't go anywhere because I basically was told repeatedly that, you know, you can't. And then when I see stuff, it's almost like when I saw someone like Muggsy Bogues or a Spud Webb or, you know, even in recent times, the, the I've forgotten his name. 
the the shorter guy who won the slam dunk competition who's five for eight playing in the NBA. This is recent times. You uh, Nate, Nate Robinson. Yeah, Nate Robinson. And when I see him, I'm like, I feel like you know these hundreds of people like going, hey, what about this guy? You you told me this couldn't happen. So it's it's like it's it's frustrating because I I mean I, I did pole vault and kind of switched lanes a little bit, but I was doing pole vault and. Look at it at that stage. I was kind of the people around me that that's where I could go further in. Knowing what I know now, and I did, you know, many years of strength and conditioning coach, the reality is I could have got a lot further in basketball because there's, uh, in terms of pole vault, there's certain physics. If you can't run a certain speed, you can't hold your hand grip up on a certain size of pole. You can't, you know, it's all about transferring of, you know, energy. You cannot go a certain height. And the high level pole vault is a literally. You know, not far off Olympic sprinters in terms of their speed, what they can get up to. And no, no amount of training would get me to that level of sprinting. I could get to like a really good level for me, but then, uh, you know, that's kind of the scene. Whereas something like basketball, if you can shoot the lights out from anywhere and you can work at that, then there's a lot of teams you're going to get on regardless of height. And, you know, I was looking at um, someone like Muggsy Bogues. He was so short, he turned what was apparent weakness into advantage all the tall players trying to get the ball off him with his quickness and the fact that he's literally round by their knees. Yeah, obviously he was an absolute legend. And I think it's, it's important to try and be aware of the stories, other people's stories they put on you. And again, not even meaning bad, but that, that's like a, it's weird. I, I, I rarely any regrets, but you know, and choosing what I chose gave my path, but, that's still, you know, that still is an, I love basketball and I, I suppose a, a positive things I haven't burned out in basketball because I never took it to the, the, the next level and I kind of went down the pole vaulting route more. Um, but it does mean I, I still absolutely love it and haven't kind of <laughs> turned it, it. It's still just pure fun for me um, and it always will be. I love that because I think for athletes, that's so key. You know, like we always like say, people always want to say, you're not small enough to be a D1 athlete. You're not D1 athlete. You're not, you're not strong enough. You're not X, Y, Z. But for anyone listening that kind of has that stigma, that struggle right now, what would be like your advice on maybe kind of how to eliminate the noise maybe, or just kind of how to kind of stay in their own head and not listen to the outside world? Yeah, I would say, you know, to, to be clear on or become clear and work to become clear on what it is you're looking, you know, what is the goal? What is the Mount Olympus? What is the vision? Because if you can, you almost like look at that end goal, as I say, if, if I'd have fought, you know, the Olympics for pole vault, um, maybe I would have had that awareness to think, okay, I'm uh, that potential. That's unlikely to happen. Um, but am I okay with that? I think in terms, of, in terms of sacrifice as well, what are you willing to sacrifice and not willing to sacrifice? But hugely, I, I hope from that story that will come, I know we went off a bit on the, the sort of the bars or side of things, but the number one thing is you've got to, got to love it. I, I, I really, I feel for people who are maybe naturally talented at something and people are pushing them to go into certain things because they're like, wow, look at this talent. And like, God, if I had your talent, I would do this that's a bit frustrating to me because you know you've got your talent and you're focused on someone else's talent and you're almost like why you can't do something so you everyone has different talents and i think if the, the 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 love of us specifically talking about sports no matter how talented you are you're not going to get to that super high level unless you love it and you've got that mentality behind it of you know that 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 sacrifice and dedication but ultimately if you're just doing it so because other people said, oh, you could do this because you don't X amount of money or, you know, you've got this talent, you, do, you, you know, you should do this. Um, I think you're going to come unstuck and, you, and it all comes back to happiness. You know, if you don't love it, ultimately, let's say you're as successful as you can be in a sport that you don't love. It's the same definition of, you know, when someone says the, the worst thing than being unsuccessful is being successful in something you hate because you kind of created this, you know, you only get one life. You created this life that others would go oh look at that he's so lucky or she's so lucky and reality is you're not enjoying it so you know i think you've got to be very careful definitely you know explore explore lots of avenues there's definitely experimentation time but you you want to be you know think about why are you doing something um and uh yeah not take life too seriously because that's another thing i think being around sort of elite level athletes as well and some of the 
and being in completely different, not schools of thought, just environments where this is like a Great Britain um, team, the environment very negative and stressful, all coming from the head coach who's like, this is high level, this is serious. Literally, if we was doing a drill, if we was laughing and enjoying ourselves whilst doing it, the, the performance was there. Literally wanted to stamp out that kind of fun element when you're literally doing it full time. And then another environment where, you know, British record holders, again, so the high level, completely different. Like it's like with your friends and enjoying and obviously the high level's there. And if you're doing it as your life, you know, you, you should enjoy it. It's, you know, if you're going to be dedicating all your days and all your hours to this one thing and it's a negative or not, not a fun environment or you're not, you're not at least taking the opportunities when they're, they're there for fun and enjoyment, that's your life. So you're literally, you know, I think that's important. And I've seen both flip side. And personally, I think one of them gets uh, much higher results long-term and even in the short term. Um, and I've seen it happen and it just, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's can be frustrating how someone can, you know, have that negative effect on people. And I, I, and that again comes back to life, you know, the, the, you know, the, the lights who are like putting energy out there and making people around them better. And then the, you know, the, the, the energy sucking vampires who are just like, you know, it takes a lot of energy just to keep normal because they're just taking so much from you. Um, and really kind of, ugh. and when, again, if your athletes listening to this, that may be your coach, that may be a key person that there is no way around it. So that's life. You've got to decide what are you willing and not willing to sacrifice. And uh, is that sacrifice worth, you know, the compromise and that, that and that's only something individuals can make up in, in them situations. Okay. So sacrifice. And I think back to that sacrifice is so key because you sacrifice a lot being an athlete, right? Like you're sacrificing time, sacrificing your money, like you're, like you're saying anything like that. So for you in your career, when you, you know, you want to pursue that Olympic dream, you want pole vault. When did that switch turn from you? Like, when did it kind of say, all right, this may not be the dream where my future is going? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, again, diff slide, again, everyone's situation is different. But in terms of the pole vault, I did love pole vault, which is a good thing. <laughs> I did love pole vault a lot. Um, and I, I was just, I felt like I was just getting going because obviously as a, as a young man, I had a, like a, a Gilmore's groin. I tore my groin at 21 and obviously coming, I would compete at a lot of university. Uh, universities in England have quite a drinking culture. So I was like that kind of, that makes just the reality of, you know, uh, pole vaulter and I competed hard. I worked hard. I play hard. Um, so coming out of that, I tore my groin at 21. Now I'm, you know, I'm into more into adult life. Um, the knock on effect of that, you know, the little injury after little injury and, you know, going into I was working as a teacher, which fitted perfectly to the uh, track and field lifestyle because we had the whole summer off is when I competed. Um, and it, so I was like, a, I felt like I was like, a, well, I did to the towards the end, a semi-professional athlete in that sense. I mean, the, in England, track and field, the professional athletes are literally a handful. You have to be winning medals, uh, <laughs> major championships, and then you get funding. So before that, good luck. Um, so, um, and that's fine. Cause again, you don't compete in track and field in England for money. Cause there isn't none that you, it's because you want to, you know, get to the Olympics or for the love of it. So I got to, so I didn't have a person. I had my personal best, at, um, or personal record as well at 21, tore my groin and then injuries after coming back, trying to get back to that level, um, injuries, loads of little things. And, and then I got back to sort of 26, 27, 28, Started to get injury free again. You know, I've learned a lot from strength and conditioning, um, changed a lot of things up and started to get back into that groove. Um, of you, as you know, for an athlete, you need a few consistent seasons to kind of start pushing the bar higher and higher because kind of if you have to not start again, but if you get an injury, it's kind of like that rebuilding process. Um, so I got to 28 years old, um, you know, injury free and uh, starting to have the best season coming into a pole vault was probably prime is probably 28 to 32 around that. I know it's for a, a lot of athletes I know for strength sort of more throwers, they can hit that a lot later. Um, they're prime. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was all looking good, a nice setup. And, um, yeah, I got, uh, got a personal best that season, the first time in, you know, six years. So it's been a long time coming, staying with it. Um, and I really thought I was getting into it, started to get into bigger competitions, got my first kind of international for 
pole vault. Um, really enjoying it and enjoying it more because of the, the maturity and the experience and knowing the years of injury and coming through that and just enjoying my athletics, um, you know, traveling a little bit, um, competed with an, uh, alongside an international select team in Ireland uh, against some, um, there was a, in the international select team with some Americans, like high level to an athlete, fan, an athletics fan, high level sprinters that I'd seen on TV and I was in the same team as them. That was a cool, and that was literally just a taste. It was just starting. Um, and then I got into the UK challenge final, which was kind of like a points league system over the season. It was good because it wasn't just, oh, you vote with the highest. It's going to be the top 10 in the competition. It was, okay, it's a point. Who can be consistent? Who can, you know, you get a certain amount of points for certain victories and certain heights throughout the season. There's, you know, certain select events. So it, it, it kind of rewarded consistent, skillful vaulters who can, you know, turn up and produce results. So there was a, you know, you can build up points. So I managed to get, into the this competition the uk challenge final um whereas a lot of times in athletics it's kind of you know if you don't bolt all season or don't compete all season you come out and do one race or one jump and it's very fast or very high you're ranked number one it for this league system is a different thing that i was trying so i got into the competition so on paper i was probably you know i was definitely an underdog um it was big, one of the bigger competitions I've been in. And so family members who'd never seen me vault for my wife's family. Like a lot of people come, the pub was right in front of the stand. Um, it's the middle of the summer. And so as it is in England, it was just horizontal rain. It was an absolute mess. And I turned up and um, they'd already said in an email before, oh, which is quite rare for England. Oh, if the conditions aren't right, we've got the indoor facility right there. It was an indoor hall with warmth and this pub was already set. We can just go inside, not a problem. So we turned up horizontal rain it couldn't have been any worse and all the pilots were like oh are we voting inside then and um the official was like no we, we make that call we're, we're gonna vote outside and we're like oh yeah pole vault's not dangerous enough let's let's go for this <laughs> so you know one landing on the pole vault bed it's like going into a swimming pool number one number two you got the grip on the pole so even if you're not slipping on the floor You've got to hold on to you've got to grip high. You, I mean, hard because you're bending the pole for starters and the forces that are going in. So we're, we're like, we're a tight knit group usually and they're helping each other out. So we've got umbrellas over each other on the run up before we start running to try and keep the pole and our hands dry, towels on the pole. And then we go and we're guaranteed to get absolutely soaked if we get off the ground. So it was a mess going in <laughs> and it got down to the mentality side of it. Um, what are you and what are you not willing to sacrifice? And that kind of rocky mentality. And also, I lost perspective. I'm going to put it out there. And I take my own responsibility for that. I was doing really well because looking back, other vaulters were probably thinking about personal preservation <laughs> a little bit better than me. Whereas I was focused on, oh, look. This level, when it's bad conditions, it levels the playing field because it comes a much more mental game. The best vaulter on paper there on that day was definitely not the best vaulter because it's like, okay, in the simplest term, how big are your kahunas? Because it was, it was, you know, it was scary. It was worrying. It was higher chance of injury as we're going to talk about. Um, and so it got to the position I was doing all right. Um, lots of vaulters were running through. It's, 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 pole vault especially is a very confidence-based um, sport in terms of you run down, you've got to, in like milliseconds, if it doesn't feel right, you've got to abort and you run through and you bail out because if you try and take off when you're in the wrong spot, things can go quite badly wrong. Um, so I was using smaller poles. I cleared a few heights and some people had literally had got no height. It hadn't cleared a height. It was just a mess. Um, and once we'd seen a few vaulters, once they'd run through once, you kind of, it's hard to get back into it. You lose your confidence. Um, and that's what happened to a lot of bowlers. So I was sitting, it's got down to the last four in the competition and I was sitting in fourth place. And again, I, I'd beaten bowlers that were technically or officially way better than me. Um, but on the day I was just kind of really tunnel vision focused on, you know, what, what the job in hand. Um, so I got to the lip point. I was kind of as high as I could go on my current pole. And so I put out a bigger pole, one that I usually used in perfect conditions, sunny, warm, towel wind. This was not that. And, you know, the, the sensible option is, you know, you just, you, you don't do that. You kind of, you, you do as, as well as you can in the conditions. So I was like, right, I need to step it up. This is kind of, this is, it's, it's, and for athletics, it's that third place is a big difference because it's the medals. It's like, I want a medal. I don't care what color at this point. 
it's so I was so close and literally could have cleared one more height and that could have been it. It was like that. Um, so I run down this bigger pole, run through, and um, someone from the cloud crowd because we were right close, literally shouted out. Well, I don't know if they're shouting, but it sounded like a shout because it was so clear and loud to me. Ah, oh, he's done. He won't take off again because a lot of bowlers once they'd run through once, they got two more attempts. You know, it's it's gone. I'm trying a bigger pole, and that does happen in a lot of competitions. So I remember walking back, and again, I got so into like what I was trying to achieve. I just remember thinking in my head, literally said, I'm going to take off next time, no matter what. That was the plan. Um, because it didn't feel right. I probably was a bit too close and I run through. Um, so second attempt, I came running down. And also, which we'd kind of complain about as well, the, the run-up has a drainage sort of either side of the um, where you're running on the, on the track. And then it was concrete on the side. And something was blocked. Or the last 10 meters where you actually jump was just a block puddle on the actual turf, on the run-up. So it was, you know, with spikes as well, if you come in and put your heel down first, which I, again, I used to take off in the wrong way quite a lot like that, you're just going to slip. And I've been, so long as I'm on my toes, the spikes are gripping. But if your heel comes down first, you're done for. Um, so I run down, I got a little bit close, and me and my brother could both do this. If you take off close, you can muscle it out. It's a lot harder, but, you know, you can bolt like that. Um, and get away with it so I run down it didn't feel right in that split second and I still went for it and my heel came down first and it slipped on takeoff and I'd never had I remember actually saying it that season because a lot of people have been you know people mention it I'd never had any knee problems throughout my whole career literally pristine knees going into this scenario and in that split second I tore my ACL dislocated my kneecap my patella and bruised the tore all the meniscus cartilage off my bones and bruised the bone ends I later found out. And um, it is easily the most painful thing that's ever happened. I felt like Mr. T, I wanted to be knocked out because the worst, it was like out of body experience and the pain. I wish it was more adrenaline. And people say, oh, I didn't feel the pain for a bit. This was just, it felt like my leg had got snapped like the wrong way and literally just ripped apart. It was, um, it was awful. And um, I just remember... I couldn't stop like screaming and I was, I was, I was just aware that like, my family were there and I was trying, I was just, tr I was just thinking, shut up. And I just couldn't. And it was just awful. And um, yeah, long story short after that, um, that was, that was the end of pole vault in any way, shape or form by far. When I was still in that athlete mentality of, Oh, how quick can I get back from this injury as because the other injuries had happened and you always do better than they kind of say, if you've got that mentality, they were like, no, 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 I don't think you get it. You need to think along the lines of, you know, being able to play basic sports with your kids down the line. I was like, Oh, still didn't sink in for a bit, but you know, it's um, yeah, it took a while, like two years of crutches, three operations um, combined. And um yeah, it took a good year for me to sink down. I said that shock and that realization to really ground zero. And like, again, it's easy to label it now, but properly depressed, like the identity thing. I was a pole up to, pole vault up, up to that point. From that, without no choice, I was literally just felt like nothing. Man, I felt, I felt every word of that because I, I, I kind of lived that same story. You know, you know, like you, like you, like you said, you have this big, big, big dream, you know, that you want to achieve and then in one second, one one play one one step and it's all gone now i know a lot of athletes have that same thing like you said the identity process so once you kind of lost that identity the lost you know the adam the the public adam the athlete how did you work on your mindset to cope with that to cope with that this newfound self you're coming into yeah um well up until that point i'd um say a lot of my extra time and focus was on pole vault i mean the dedication it takes it was um it kind of created a big vacuum and a big you know a lot of time and a, like that that space and it, you know what do you fill it with and looking back i mean later and i was sitting there and my knee had swollen up like an absolute coconut and actually my lower leg had turned almost like a block of wood it was just everything was swelling up um because i'd gone on the they said i was okay to go on the plane which i later found out was a huge mistake from the nhs and i could have it could have really gone bad there um that was the first time I stumbled across sort of like a, an entrepreneurial type summit or me. I'd never gone to any of that sort of stuff before. 
And I actually booked that. And that was going to be in New York. I booked that almost out of not well, kind of panic. Like there's going to be a big vacuum. I need to like look at some other things because this ain't, you know, this is, you know, I need to change. I need to adapt. But I, so that was the kind of the first thing that switched me going to that sort of stuff. And I still, things that have happened now, I still got connections from that. That must've been, yeah, 2008 in, in New York over that way. Still things I can trace back to that. Um, and I definitely wouldn't, I don't think I would have been speaking to you today if this accident happened, hadn't happened. I don't, I know the, the podcast, um, Awaken Your Alpha wouldn't have happened. Uh, co-authoring a book, The New Rules of Success in 2013 that then led on to the podcast, the TEDx talk, Awaken Your Alpha, and now kind of full circle, the book, Awaken Your Alpha, Thousand Tactics to Thrive. I can all trace it back to kind of, I'm sure great things would have happened the other way, but it would have been very different. So, you know, it, we, we, all, we all have a different route. And I think it's just, you know, making the best of the reality and not, you know, wishing this happened or, you know, beating yourself up over stuff that's, that's gone, you know, that's the past. And even worrying about the future, there's nothing you can do. You only ever have the present. Um, you know, the worry of the future for starters is worrying about things that haven't happened yet or may never happen. So I think it's, yeah, it's after that period. But again, this still sounds good. Looking back in the reality, two years, I was not in a good place. And that's the reality. It, it, stuff does take time. And it wasn't like, again, for the first year, especially kind of getting <laughs> sloping and dropping down. I'm a naturally positive person and I was on the surface, I was trying to sort of like smile it out as in not just for other people, but for myself as well. Like, Hey, I'm going to keep on this and it's, you know, I'm going to push through this and I was slowly getting worse and worse and worse. And then by the time I got real bad, I felt even worse because people always assumed, Oh, you know, you, you're a positive guy. And, and it's almost like I was embarrassed that I was, cause again, I would have that perspective, you know, I was not struggling to survive. You know, this was a, this is a sport at the end of the day. This was, you know, I know there's a lot worse off people than me. And so I was embarrassed that I was feeling so crap and so depressed ultimately at that stage because had anyone died? No. Had any, you know, I had, you know, can I function like to the, to the, the, the average person, what is that? But to someone walking around, I was still, you know, probably fitter and in better shape than 95% of the population but I couldn't pole vault, you know, and I'd be, you know, so it's, it's just that thing. So I get it. And I'd, I'd almost wrote, yeah, yeah. I'm a, and people would, would after a while wouldn't even really notice I'm in, you know, injured to a certain extent because, you know, as I say, a lot of people are in shape where they, they have got health problems and it's just how they are almost. I know there's a the mix of, for some of them, it's kind of a choice, whether it's consciously or unconsciously and other people, you know, they, they've just got things that they're dealing with. Um, so it was in that vacuum as well. And it, but it's almost linking that we talked about the vision, getting to the Olympics. I still wasn't ready to give that up. So I started to think, okay, I'm like taken out in my prime. Like the knee is the only issue here. What, what else can I do? And uh, through, cause I was quite a high level athlete. I got invited to a Paralympic potential day. I think it must've been in 2009. So again, I felt there was a lot of mental issues around that. Cause I felt like I didn't deserve to be there. And uh, you know, when people, when you, people are asking, Oh, what's wrong with you? And I had some such conversations with what well, I'd have to say ignorant people and just, but it really got to me at the time. I basically went to this Paralympic potential day, potential day. And I felt, I felt a bit out of place. Cause uh, you know, again, unless you know about these sort of things, you feel like, you know, you have to have a leg missing an arm missing or, you know, be that easily visible. Oh yeah, that there it could be a you know disabled or Paralympian. So I wasn't sure. I was finding this out. I went there and because of my basketball background, tried a few different things, and I was like, I was being like, should I even be here? I don't, I don't know what's. And they're like, oh no, no, there's certain there's sports that you know they have minimal disability athletes on there um, and different things, and you know we we just you know the, there's a team of doctors that decide the categories and whether you that's not you, you don't go and say oh. Oh, I think I'm like this. That's not your job. So I ended up, again, I didn't really know about it then, trying out for the sitting, doing some volleyball there. I didn't even know it existed. Sitting volleyball. So it's same as standing volleyball, except you're on the floor. You've got to have, you know, your butt or your side. You've got to be on the floor and you scooch around on the floor and to the next lower. But it's actually the fastest version of volleyball. It's a lot of fun. I love volleyball as well. Um, so it's 
it's all the things volleyball is it's just less time to react because it's everything's played a little bit lower and the mobility on the floor so again obviously in the in the team you have people who are you know missing a leg from you know a lot of i think a lot of them were motorbike accidents in the reality um that was a eye-opening to me and then there's you have two spots for minimal disability athletes which could be something as small as you know um the ACL L's gone or something, you know, that, that kind of thing, like the knee completely screwed type stuff and they class it. So I actually got into the GB squad for that. So kind of from one big vacuum, I put all my energy into that. And we talk about sacrifices, how I um, connected with a teammate who, you know, James. And um, through that, um, this was a really weird, not weird, but really testing time in terms of I was 100% committed. I was all in. There was a, you know, the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics were coming in London. So there was a lot behind this group. And it was all that was talked about. It was literally three years out or almost the full cycle. Um, and I was putting the hours in. And the issue was here. And I get it because it's high performance and, you know, it's, it's quite ruthless. But the, they wanted you to be basically full time and, you know, and not pay you full time. But you had to literally chop everything you needed to be committed. And that was kind of like that. Okay. Yeah, but do you want to come to Olympics? So it kind of sorted out who was really committed. And I was in there. But the problem was every time a, like a world championships come around or any time that was to a championship or like a tournament, we're only allowed two minimal disability spots on the team. And it happened that the two minimal disability or the minimal disability spot that I was kind of playing some Great Britain legend, like the best player from standing volleyball for the last 20 years. He's obviously got a little bit older. His knee was screwed. He qualified, so he would just walk onto the team, not do so much training, but he'd walk onto the team. And right, rightly so, in terms of getting the best result, that's what I was up against. So even though I was almost turned into like cannon fodder for training camps because I was doing really well at training camps, I was the fastest person on the floor because of strength and conditioning and stuff. And I was, you know, that was my thing. I was the fastest person on the floor. I loved having the ball smashed at me, so I would be digging them up. And then it kind of got to the point after a couple of championships where I kind of got dropped or didn't get the call and then straight back in for the rest of the training and then out. That was basically what was going to happen at the Olympics. And it's hard to come to that kind of realization. I had my first son was born and I'm getting trains into London in a weeknight. It's rainy. I'm going up there kind of knowing it wasn't within my control in terms of most sports. It's like if you compete, and become the best of the best, or you, you can get that you'll get in the team. This was such a weird scenario that it wasn't like that. Um, and and I, I, again, I tried to flip it on the, the positives. The only way it would have been like that is if I was missing a foot or an arm. So I was like, in a weird, not in a weird way, but like, I'm glad it's not like that. And it took, but it did mean I wasn't enjoying it, number one, because we spoke about the coach, and I don't mind, you know, being completely transparent about that. You know, I'm not going to go on about it but he wasn't my cup of tea he he, he was um quite a um he was not the most positive person in that environment so there was a couple of things against it it was not enjoyable to do it took a huge amount of sacrifice and when my and it the i the, the reward that was coming i knew wasn't really coming for my goals and also um once my son was born that really changed the game because before you know you're just taking time away yeah from other people but I was missing, you know, key moments that are not going to come back. Um, and it was times like that. I think I, I dropped and I tried one more, come back at it. And I was like, it just, my heart wasn't there. So I had to, you know, what am I willing and not willing to sacrifice? We talked about it before. I wanted to get to Olympics or Paralympics, but I was not, there was a chance I would have got there because, you know, people get injured, like team shuffles right near the end. But the, the sacrifice, I was not willing to sacrifice missing out on my, you know, my kid's childhood and going in and all the things I was going to be sacrificing for the slim chance. And it, yeah, so that was, had to be really honest with myself and uh, it's a tough decision, but it was the right one. I definitely don't regret that. And then, you know, I saw my teammates go to the Olympics and all the experiences because, you know, they, they competed on the, the, uh, the Olympics. You know, they got, I don't know the details, but I, they got quite smashed. They may have won, but like the performance is irrelevant. It's that, you know, that Olympic experience being in the athlete villages you know all the i saw all the stuff around it and um yeah and i i watched from the sidelines and i felt okay because i knew what they had sacrificed to get there 
And I know I would have felt 10 times worse if I'd have sacrificed all that right up to the point and then got dropped, which kind of the writing on the wall. And as I say, me and the coach had a little bit of conflict in kind of, I was a positive guy. He, he was not. <laughs> no worries. I, I definitely relate to that. So, so how does this, all these experiences, all the, the journey so far, how does it go into Awaken the Alpha? So can you tell us more about that in the new book and everything? Yeah, yeah, cool. So as I say, um, as part of coming out of all of this, um, the positives are, again, how did I drag myself out of kind of probably about 2010, the, my lowest point to, you know, not even thriving to start with, just to going from not surviving, not coping to then dragging yourself out. And the experimentation that, that happens there are things that do and, sorry, things that do and don't work. Um, once I came through that, um, I really refocused because before it was all about almost coaching myself and that, that where do I want to go? But after that, it was a lot more about, okay, that energy as well went to helping others achieve their success. Um, and I got a lot out of that. Um, then I wrote, co-author for the book, the new rules of success. Um, and it was when I did that, which is, you know, world's leading experts reveal their, you know, secrets to help achieve you health, wealth, and lifestyle was kind of the, the overall theme. Um, when I met up with the people that are in this book that were just, on paper, so different, you know, from the middle of nowhere and from the south of England, from America, black, white, Cuban or Asian, like there was just such a mix. And I was thinking, this is going to be interesting. But when I spoke to them, when we met up eventually, it was just like, you're like, oh my goodness, we've got so much in common. It's that mindset. And that's kind of the sort of these conversations. I hadn't really seen or had these conversations so much, especially with that variety and it was almost like some things were so simple and you're like well this needs to be shared this like it doesn't need to be as hard as you know a lot of times it it, it seems to be so that was kind of the idea for how how can i you know share this so i was still teaching part-time i'd been straddling the um the entrepreneurial and the employee for a couple of years i was doing my sort of business on the side strength and conditioning young athletes as well and tra training sort of that side of things um, but I was, I could never be as good as I, at one or the other, because I was a part-timer in both and it, you know, you have to be ruthless. So I'm in my, the bit entrepreneurial side, I'm competing with full-timers as a part-time in the teaching realm. I'm competing with full-timers who are dedicated hundred percent to that. Whereas I'm like, well, I've got to go do my business like half, half. So that was the tough time as well. Uh, the transition very, and it probably took too long, longer than it should. Um, with awaken your alpha. One of my, we talk about the big vision and the dream and the, the Mount Olympus. I wanted to move to America with my wife. And it got to the point in terms of I set a deadline, which I'm a big believer in deadlines, because before you know it, if you don't, you know, life is just gone. You go weeks, turn into months, turn into years. And you're like, oh, I meant to do that. But you've got to prioritize it. So my deadline, we're moving to America by 2015 or 2015, for example. Okay, put it a few bits. That's fine. Start working it back. Oh, when it gets to a point, that's a year and a half away. Oh, how's this going to work? So I'm not just moving to America. I'm moving to the middle of nowhere in northern Michigan. So, which is because the wife's got some family from up here and we've been visiting every summer and it's absolutely stunning. It's just lovely up here. It's not like Canada wilderness. It's lovely. Right on the Great Lakes. Um, so, okay, that's, that's the problem to solve. Teaching, yeah. I mean, my heart, I love teaching. My heart in teaching in a school environment with a restrictive curriculum it's not, it's not kind of, it's not what I was meant to do. I don't think, well, I know. <laughs> and, um, so within less than a month, again, against advice. And we talk about advice and people telling you what, maybe you're too short to do basketball or you, oh, you should really transition, get this going well before you quit. You've got, you know, got two young kids at this point. I was stuck in that transition for too long and I decided I quit my job. I made that decision because you, once you put your notice in with teach, you've got to work a little bit longer, uh, but quit my job and decided to start the podcast, Awaken Your Alpha. It came together. Um, I think, you know, literally I'd lined up interviews from the Monday that I'd finished to, to start. I'd had certain goals. I just, over these years of just, you know, going to and putting out the good vibe and getting connections for no other reason than that they're awesome people and vice and just like connecting. I didn't know what for, but when it came to, wanted to speak to them for the podcast and podcasting was relatively newer then. I know it'd been around for quite a few years. Um, 
so it all just came together. I launched, you know, with, um, within a month after that, I launched, actually launched the same time as Tim Ferriss's podcast. Um, I was number one on New and Noteworthy in iTunes at the same time as he was out. I used to sort of straddle above him, I think, when America was sleeping in the morning, take the screenshots. Um, and I started with, I did three interviews minimum a week for a year, almost broke me because it, it was, it was too much, but I got that momentum going, um, off the back of that loads of things have come that I can trace back to the podcast. Um, I scaled it back a little bit. I moved country and I'd done a TEDx talk, awaken your alpha based on, cause again, people say, what was awaken your alpha for a long time? It was, you know, it was like just bettering yourself and which it is trying to get, you know, that mentality to pursue and get better every day. People want more. They want more explanation. And I'm like, okay, yeah, what is it? So, so the TEDx talk, you know, that creatively thrives under constraints forced me to clarify it more of like, what exactly is it? So I broke it down to three key phases for the TEDx talk originally, which was two years ago, which was awareness, action, and ascension. It all came down. Everything we, I, we talked about in the book and on the podcast could be clarified into, okay, how do we do it? What are the steps to awaken your alpha? And, and how can I apply this in a practical term as opposed to, you know, wishy-washy, oh, let's get better type thing. So that was the TEDx talk that, you know, I, I hope you go and have a look. If you search Adam Lewis Walker, you know, Awaken Your Alpha on YouTube, it'll pop up, probably number straight away. Um, and then from that, I actually always knew this was going to be a book. I know people sometimes say, I think, if not everyone, I, I think everyone's got a book in them. It's whether they decide they want to have a book. Everyone's got a potential book in them. And I always knew I'd co-author the book, which is, you know, was going to be my first book that got turned into a chapter. And that was all really around youth conditioning and, and just that family aspect and how to, you know, do well there. Um, so that kind of was not what I was after because there's a lot of other people in that book and, you know, it's not my book, whereas this is a legacy project. So the, the, the podcast I always looked at it was research for my book. And so I always knew it was coming. Um, so, and people, you know, you, you can put reasons or barriers to delay in different things. Um, so I did the TEDx talk and this kind of bringing it all together, it took way longer than I thought about 200 episodes in. I thought, well, yeah, because there's always that, oh, I can do a few more episodes. I can get another interview. Or if I can just wait till I get this person on my podcast, you know, you're never going to be fully ready. There's always more you can do. But at a certain time, you've got to just draw the line and say, I am good enough now. And I'm going to, you know, the fact I don't have maybe certain well-known names in the book could be seen as a weakness or a or as a strength. These are not your everyday conversations or stories that you've seen in 10 other books. Some people, you know, I've got interviewed that, hadn't done an interview before, but I'm like, how has no one else heard this story? I've got the well-known people and I've got Robert Greene in there, the author of 48 Laws of Power and the 50th Law. You know, I've got absolute world beaters in here, but you might not have heard their story or their take. And, and I've even missed people out that you think, oh, they should have been the book because it's not just a random collection of stories. They're there, you know, to actually Tom Cronin, who's in the book, he's an Australian who's like a meditation master and founder of the Stillness Project. He puts it, this, this is on the front cover of the book, a must read for every man who wants to step up in their life with confidence and a vision of being a conscious leader. And there's a framework around it. There's stories to support and tactics that, you know, are others that I've bought, you know, I don't care where it comes from. If you've got good advice, if you've got a good way to help you thrive that, can sh that, that you can share and impact someone's life, I put that in the book, whether I said it, they said it, everything that's in the book, I stand by. I, I think it's, you know, it's really useful. And I wanted a book that inspired me to read it. Bearing in mind it taking in the writing and publishing process, 18 months, which I went at it full time. Like I wanted this done quick. So I knew how painful this process would be. <laughs> it was way more than that. Um, and what kept me going strong through that in terms of the vision, this wasn't a book necessary to sell a lot of copies. This was Worst case scenario, not worst case scenario. The reason I was writing this, if something happened to me, as I know everyone listening to this, you're alive now. The reality is, again, dependent, it doesn't even let this, doesn't even get heard by a lot of people. There will be some of us who are not around tomorrow. And I want that to be taken in the most positive light, whether it's a wake up call or like, oh, we might not be around. So let's make the most of today. Let's not say, Oh, tomorrow I'll do that or when I'm ready. Um, and this book I wrote, I've got it in the, in, right at the front of the book. And I wrote to my sons, Dylan and Harrison, who one day will be men. 
because if anything does happen to me, who's going to be here to, you know, to tell them, you know, advice and, you know, things I would have been there daily telling them myself on all this random and but very relevant and core topics as a man, as a human. And now it's there. They've got over 300 episodes of the podcast with such a variety of interesting people and, and relevant topics to thrive in life. So that's kind of the legacy behind it was huge for me. And I think using that as my guiding light is why this is not an entrepreneurial book that was put up in three months to put your face on the cover. I'm not on the cover. This is about the book and the stories in it and the thousand tactics to thrive. Um, so that was, that really dragged, not dragged me through, pulled me. That's the, the difference between desperation and inspiration. You can do the same amount of work, but if you're inspired, you're being pulled towards it, which happened here. If I was doing this book out of desperation, it would have been so much tougher because you're being pushed by, you have to do it as opposed to the attitude of, I have the chance to do it. And that's how I saw it. And it had to be to a certain standard before I'm coming out and talking on people's podcasts and putting it out there because, you know, I want this book to be by word of mouth when people read it. Um, and I want this to have an impact. If you impact one or two of the things from this book instantly, then in my mind, job done. It's not about reading a good book for me and just saying, oh, that was nice. There's, there has to be something. I mean, we got, you know, English, Americans, Australians, Africans, you know, all over the world. We've got the mix in there. So if you don't relate to what I, me personally, good, because it means you'll probably relate to someone in here. Um, and so I think that that kind of certain things are universal. It just needs to hear it from a different viewpoint. Some people on here will be being too harsh on themselves and they need to like take it easy and give themselves a break while at the same time, someone else will be, you know, needs a kick up the ass or needs someone literally to say as, as, as one of the Australians comes in here, buy a, you know, buy an effing book and get off your ass and do something that the knowledge is out there. That's not a legitimate excuse nowadays with the internet books, you know, the knowledge is not going to hold you back. It's all about that belief and just cracking on. And I, I'm aware I've gone off on a rant and you haven't spoke for a while. So over to you. <laughs> no, like, dude, like that's so, that's so perfect. Everything you said, I don't know. Cause I feel like we kind of all have our own, like you're saying our own kind of quirks, right. And our own kind of things that we're fighting, whether we think we know it or not. And I think your book is really going to hit all of that because for me, like, I think I fall in, in that first category, you know, like I'm too hard on myself. But I know kind of hearing your story, you know, and I, I think about myself, about the leading the legacy. So I think I'm, I'm excited to read your book now. Like I'm just, I think it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I, I read your, your, your wall, like the screen behind you and it says action master legacy. That's like three powerful things that we all want to achieve, especially as athletes, right? We all want to leave a legacy. We all want to, you know, go down in, in, in the history books in some way. You can really get a lot of value from this for sure. I mean, linked on that, I mean, just one of the things, uh, you know, from the book directly, you know, it says we all have limited, limitless possibilities to create our life. The difference is being aware that it is a choice and then having the belief in ourselves to start living that choice. The key to high performance is to awaken your alpha each and every day. So the point is there as well. It's not like a, a one-time thing. Like people are like, are oh, you still awakening your alpha? I'm like, well, well, yeah, daily. That's the point. That's, you know, you, it's like washing. You don't say, oh, I did it last week. I'm good. You need to do that daily or you're going to stink in life and in, in, in reality. So I've, I think that's, that's one of the key things to me. And whatever that means to you, you know, it's, it's about unleashing your true potential. It's like shining as I think, not I think, I know because this is what I'm all about. But from the solar system, the alpha means the star that shines the brightest from the animal kingdom. It's, you know, to achieve the highest level, in a you know in a society or a dominance hierarchy but it's not to dominate others it's, it's to achieve the highest level in areas that hold importance to you so if you don't care about something then that's not part of you awakening your alpha but there are certain core things that if you're honest with yourself you cannot be truly happy unless your body your energy matches your aspirations if you want to like earn loads of money for whatever reason your ability to go out there and make that happen is going to be limited by your energy so it's, it's all connected. So, and the same thing, if you're, if you want to have a massive impact in the world, but you, you're completely, you literally have, you don't have the money to survive. That's going to affect your ability to be able to 
spend a conversation in the middle of the day, you know, sharing the word or dedicating the time to write a book. So I, I, it's just, it's, it's really, you know, I'm very obviously passionate about this. Um, and I just, some of the stuff I've, the, the guys have interviewed and the girls who have interviewed on the podcast just really inspire me. And that reading the book, every time I have a little look, I get sucked in as well. And it's got 31 actions throughout the book. A lot of times they're called like, oh, questions to answer. But they, I call these action boxes. And, you know, some of them are very brief, but it's just, the point is to, to action stuff like that day when you read it and just have a think about it and just start to, you know, open your mind a little bit. And even if you think, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm fully out for now. My mind's, are, are, you know, I'm open to this. I'm smashing it. This book is still for you. Cause this is about, as I say, this is about, okay, what's the, can you get the thing in there? That's going to give you the extra 1% and then the extra 1% the next day. It's not, it's, it's very, very rarely. I'll almost say never about these big one-off gestures. It's about the small daily actions that accumulate. And it's about being more consistent. You know, if you find yourself, and we were tucked on, lightly touched on, you know, depression, feeling down. If you find yourself feeling sad and like crap more days than not, that's not just I'm feeling sad and um, I'm having an off day. That's creeping towards depression. And it's not normal. It's not okay. Don't just let it slide. You've got to try and be proactive. And the, the worst thing about it is when you're starting to go down that route, it's the last thing you feel like doing is the things that will actually pull you out of there. And you have to hit rock bottom. Um, I know men's suicide is like three times higher than women in the UK because guys don't talk about it. Um, and we, you know, we do, you, you have these high profile cases of someone who looks like they on the surface, they had it all and everyone around them thinks they're, they're smashing it and they're legends. And if they'd have said anything, they would have been there for them, but they don't say anything. And then, you know, I just hope, anyone listening to this doesn't take it that far because there is no way back from that. But until that point, there's always a way back. Um, talked about there's an Australian here kind of come from that Wolf of Wall Street type environment where he burnt himself out and he was to the brink. And I think something he talked about this by me, there's always a way back. But the reality is the further down you are, the longer it takes. I think it's just, just that natural you know, balance. If it's taking you a while to get down there and you've gone down and you're really low, it's going to take you a little while to get back. But literally baby steps. If you can feel 1% better than yesterday, don't beat yourself up because that's on the right way. Feel 1% better the next day. And all you can do is, you know, get better every day. And the other thing is, if you have a particularly bad day, and this is not necessarily talking down when you're down low, but if you're just, you know, you, 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 you're doing well and some days you're not so good. If you have a particularly bad day, what happened that day? And on the flip side, if you have a particularly legendary day where you're in the flow, everything feels easy, but you're getting stuff done and you're smashing it. Confidence is high. And you're like, this is it. What did you do? What specific things did you do that time? And a lot of times there are clues, you know, success leaves clues. So many times if I'm feeling a bit off the ball or lose my way, I'm just not feeling quite, you know, as I, as, as I know I, I should be. Sometimes I look at things. A lot of times it it's, it's, can be the simple stuff. Have I let my discipline in what time I'm going to bed slip? Have I read a few pages from a the right stuff, a decent book consistently? A lot of times it's, for whatever reason, there's always reasons that people will tell me. I'm sure people can come up with a hundred reasons. You, go, you can have reasons or you can have excuses. You can't have both. So this is a personal thing. A lot of times it's because I, I haven't read what I usually do, or I, I've lost the consistency there, or I've, you know, you get lazy and you, and by lazy, I mean, it's not you're sleeping more, you, you're, you're lazy to have the discipline to go to bed at a certain time or get up as and it has that knock on effect. And, you know, simple things like sleep and nutrition and, you know, what you're feeding your mind is huge on a daily basis. So if you think of the, the effect of reading, you know, the right stuff, a few pages every day can have, most people are not defending or taking as much care of what they put into their mind as they are what they're putting into their body and some people don't really care what they put into their body and that's why the results show um so i think it's very important to if you're around toxic environments and there's no way out there are still ways to mentally remove yourself from that environment if you can't physically get up and leave if someone's you know complaining about something that's their call but you don't have to join in the conversation you don't have to hear it usually headphones 
go the other way. <laughs> you know, there's, there's always ways. Books can go everywhere. I, I think it's, it's really important to create your environment and whether, you know, your, your current physical environment, if it's not what you want at the moment, and I think it's important to be ambitious and aspire, but also enjoy the moment you're in, enjoy the journey as well. If your current environment isn't what you want or what you're, you're happy with, you can either focus on that and, as I said, complain about that, stare at that, talk about all these reasons of why it's so crappy and why this has happened, or you can focus you know, on looking out on what's the route out and where do you want to go and you know, what can you do and the opportunities that are around for everyone, regardless of your situation, there is always opportunity. And I think that's, uh, it's just important to, to back yourself as well. Adam, you're speaking fire, man. Like you can find this whole episode. So like, so when can we get the book and when's it coming out? Okay. I'm excited about this. Cause again, I think you can tell I've been kind of caged away behind the mic on the other side. I, you know, do hundreds of interviews myself. And uh, when I've been asked to do interviews in the last year, especially I've kind of gone, there's a book coming, like leave it. I, I want to, I want to, you know, go all in. So the book is out October 3rd. If it's past October 3rd, when you listen to it, don't worry. Go straight onto Amazon and get it. It's available worldwide. Up until that point as well, so Awaken Your Alpha Thousand Tactics to Thrive, there's pre-launch bonuses. So www.ayalpha.com forward slash book. Hopefully we have the link here. You can go there and it actually has, it's not just the, the buy page, it actually has like a bit of information about it. Testimonials from people like, I'm going to say it, legends from around the world who've read this book and it's had an impact and they love it so there's reasons i mean if you're a woman listening to it and you you appreciate the message going in there's also explain like why why would you read this and what i've got a launch group at the moment that are going through this and reading this getting a sort of an early advanced read of it and there's a lot of women in there and they're they're, they're really loving it you know because tactics to thrive are, are universal i wrote this with kind of my muses my boys so i, I you know and my background is I'm a man, obviously. I, I, I do think that if we're looking at high performance, I, when it gets to the high level, I understand the, the, the man's mentality more because, you know, <laughs> that's just the nature of the beast. So in terms of a woman, I want you to read this book because the stories, you know, this, the stories that are in there are universal, but also it really to understand the men in your life better, either to deal with them or understand what they're going through. And also... I think this is a great thing to pass on to that slide that to the man in your life. And, um, I think, no, no, I keep saying, I think he will appreciate this. Um, so, um, yeah, a Y alpha.com. So it's a Y alpha.com forward slash book. Um, there's bonuses, there's the worksheets that go behind. I'm trying to think what other bonuses have lots of cool stuff in there. Um, there's a video series for those who get in before October 3rd. There's a giveaway. And I'm also having a live Q and a, webinar meetup only for the people who've bought the book and got involved involved with the book and are reading the book for, before the launch so we can just hash out all these these questions and discussions like we're having now that will come from the book um john romanello who i really enjoyed him um interviewing and again he wrote the book it was the new york times bestselling author of engineering the alpha where arnold schwarzenegger who i'm a big fan of wrote the foreword to i interviewed him and he's written the sort of read the book and had a look at it he says about this book awaken your alpha outlines an effective model to help you identify isolate and address the differences between the man you are and the one you want to be so that's john romanello so this has been a long time coming and i'm very happy with the results ultimately i did not want to hand this to my boys because my my oldest is seven he's a big reader he got copy number one He's dived in. My wife, it made her cry in a couple of pages. That might not have that effect on you because she's a bit close to the source, but she's absolutely loving it as well. So lots of positive reviews so far. This book is going to be around for a long time. Um, and um, I'm excited for you to get it, to have a photo of wherever it ends up in the world. And but more importantly, tell me what you took from it, whether it's one thing from the entire book. People might think, oh, one thing, that's not much. But one thing that had an impact for you it's all about the results and having a, you know, a, a better life and thriving. And that's not to be judgmental to say you're not having a great life. It's about, it's a daily thing. How could you enhance, or even if you've got a great life, how could you feel more fulfilled and more satisfied with that? And maybe not just always be striving and doing to-do lists and just turn into that kind of goal setting person. So you're missing 
being present and we talk about presence in there so if you, if if that appeals to you if any of this appeals to you please do check it out you know it's for a very small investment on the book you know my aim here is to over deliver i'm pumped for it like i'm really pumped for it i talk to you all day like this is like so good but the last question for you so social media wise where people kind of find you and connect more awesome so um Adam Lewis Walker, I use the middle name because, again, I will pop up number one generally. If Adam Walker, there's hundreds of us. So Adam Lewis Walker, online anywhere. Facebook, definitely connect me. I'm getting close to that, that, that friend limit. So just if you send me a message, then that's the easiest way. And I'll definitely, you know, connect with you there. Um, Instagram's, you know, quite big, for, especially for the book and stuff. That's I'm quite active on there. So Adam Lewis Walker again. Awaken Your Alpha on Facebook. We have uh, a community of people who listen to the podcast. Um, we have a you know page, all of that. So just they're the two ones. Awaken your alpha, Adam Lewis Walker, to go get the book and land straight there. It's ayalpha.com forward slash book. Um, podcast is on iTunes, Stitcher. You know all places should be very easily found. Um, anything else? I think that's it. Just if you, this resonates, connect with me, and then everything else can kind of evolve from there. Um, yeah, I mean that that's it, man. I'm, I'm sure I feel like I'm forgetting something. I mean, any specific questions i just want to give more and more value because again i could be here all day and uh, you think god he's talked a lot we're scratching the surface with this book man this is uh, it's, it's, it's all in there uh i guess the last question for you i have to say the last question so if you can make your brand like if you can write your story in five words right what would they be like five adjectives how would you describe your yourself and your story <laughs> oh my goodness five Unrelated, like separate words because then I can go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah five yeah. words. <laughs> five words, right? Let's try and do this. <laughs> okay. Energy. Oh. Well, I'm going to use, I got an easy out of this. Okay. Awareness, action, ascension, legacy. Boom. In with legacy. I love it. Oh, six. I would have said master as well. <laughs> well good adam i appreciate you coming on like you really i'm looking forward to this book i'm excited to dive into it no worries i just want to i mean in terms of i mean it's it's way beyond five words you can cut this if you want but in terms of i think i believe everyone should or does have a a motto whether they're aware of it or not kind of like their core beliefs that come together and i talk about in the book in kind of a process to make your motto but because a lot of times people ask what's your favorite quote and different things like that um and I think a motto really comes out, unless it's a very full quote, a combination of maybe quotes that you kind of you like, yeah, I like that, but it's missing something. Or I like that. That's kind of how I live. So I have plastered across my wall, and this linked into what we're talking about, a quote by a famous philosopher, Arnold Schwarzenegger there. Do it, do it now. And I see that daily. And that's from the movie Predator. <laughs> but the point is, it resonates with me. It makes me smile. It's and this is, you need your own one of this. It's not for someone else. So, oh yeah, I like that. I, you know, it, it makes me smile, but do it, do it now. That's it's about taking action. But then you, okay, you can't just go into action. So one of my other quotes, and we talked about awakening your alpha every day, Winston Churchill, former British prime minister, success is never final because yeah, you may have done great accomplishments yesterday or last year. If you just sat on that, what does that mean for you today? So it's, it's these people, so, uh, we're all, you know, sometimes you can kind of go into your comfort zone because you, you know, you've done something and it's like, awesome. Okay. But success is never final. And again, I see that in the positive, you know, don't get complacent. So do it, do it now, Arnold. Mm. Success is never final, but then especially uh, coming into this book um, launch as well, what I think is huge. And, and in life I've experienced this and, I'm sure everyone else has at different times. You look at different phases of your life. Your life expands and contracts in proportion to your courage. Whew. And I might have misquoted that, but that's good if I have, because then I'll make it my own quote. <laughs> but <laughs> the one I'm leaning towards is Anis Nin, who made that. But the issue is, whenever I've, whenever you feel like small and you don't make the bold decisions and you start going down that route, again, it's that compounding effect and your life becomes smaller. If you try, if your goal is just to maintain, then naturally your life will get smaller. If you're courageous to make them bold actions, bold mistakes, then your life 
you know, opens up. And I need to, when it comes to this book launch and everything I'm doing and speaking to you, if, you know, if there's the opportunity there, I'm going to take bold action and I'm going to make mistakes of boldness rather than mistakes of sloth. So at the end of the day, I can know, as we talked about, I did my best and I'm not wondering what if, you know, if not now, when for any projects or ideas that you've got that you're sitting on, crack on. Love it. Mine is um, by Erwin McManus. Whoever tells the best story shapes the culture. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm so, that. that is awesome. Got some so, stories in here. I'm just, I'm just getting into the plugging mode. <laughs> hey, hey, no, we're going to, going to plug this to, to the max on, on everything we got in nine points. So I love it, man. Hey, well, thanks for coming on. Like, really, thanks for talking with me. And we'll definitely be in touch soon. Awesome, man. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening, guys. listening to this episode of the nine point started with a dream podcast if you enjoyed this episode please comment share leave a review we would love to hear your thoughts you can find more athlete driven content at nine point.com till the next episode you're only one opportunity away